All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Tim and everybody else, thank you for joining us here on Dropping the Gloves, episode 500 and something. Getting up there. We're aging vets in the podcast game. I love it. Thank you for all the support and for joining us, everybody. It's going to be a good one. We're into August, Tim. Can you believe it? Summer's, summer's almost over. It's crazy. The best time of summer right now. We're done with July, the 90 degree heat. This is This is when the summer hits its sweet spot for me here in Traverse City. The tourists slowly start to trickle out. I get to go to Northport and enjoy that for a few weeks and don't talk to anybody or see anybody. It's fantastic. How is it in uh in North Carolina? It's hot. It's like 95 every day. It's not super humid, which is nice, but yeah, it's pretty hot. I do miss Traverse City. I've been talking to my friends a lot there the last couple of weeks, and hopefully I can get up sometime in the fall, September, October, something like that. That would be great to not see you in Traverse City. So I, I went up to the Sault Ste. Marie, Canada, this past week. My father-in-law is building a little cabin up there. Nice. And I went up for the day. And I was introduced to something that might have changed my life. So I live on 30 acres here in Traverse City. Not a huge chunk of land, but just enough. You know, you have your privacy. Up there, my father-in-law has a cabin we're building. No, no toilet, no running water, no anything. So when nature calls, you got to figure it out. And he goes up there for like a week at a time and when i was up there i went up for the day i'm like i'm not gonna have to use you know the restroom but i had a bunch of coffee in the morning and 11 o'clock rolled around i'm like yikes i gotta i gotta take care of business here and there was nowhere to go and so my father-in-law mark goes oh you haven't seen the thunderbox i'm like what the thunderbox tim he made this beautiful handcrafted wooden outhouse but with no walls it's just like a box lift the lid toilet paper's there there's two buckets one for the business one for sawdust that you put the sawdust on your business when you're done i tell you what and i and i know i'm I'm not trying to make a joke out of this but it really was like transformational being able to just sit there in the midst of the trees and just take care of business and be a little scared that someone might come down the driveway because it was right at the end of the driveway, but also freeing. You're like, I'm taking, you know, care of business in the wide open nature. 
and you can like the winds blowing through my hair. It was exhilarating. I loved it. And he called it the Thunderbox, which was awesome. Like, I'm like, you should patent this invention. The lid has like one of those toilet paper dispensers. So the toilet paper is right there. And it, it's, it didn't smell. The cedar sawdust chips covered up the business. And then when you're done, you take the bucket and you just throw it in the woods. And it's gone. And then you just start again the next time you're there next week. It was, I don't know why I just, I wanted to tell everybody that if if you're a camper, if you're this or you're that, get some sawdust, get a bucket and you're just, you're free as can be. I don't think you pee in the bucket. You got to go do that in the woods, but I guess you could too. It was, it was an interesting, uh, interesting time for me, but I loved every second of it. Do you know what I'm saying, Tim? Okay, I have two questions slash observations. The first one is, what part of it was life-changing? Was it just the connection with nature and like your ancestral roots to be out doing the business outside? I think it was just the fact that, you know, that's such a private thing. And usually you're locked away and you're staring at like this closed little room that you're in. Shame. Yeah, but I was out, you know, and I was just like, a little worried, but it just also just free. And like, I'm looking at trees and I can see the water and I'm like, the wind's blowing and the birds are chirping and I got flies buzzing around a little bit and I'm taking a deuce outside. It was just so neat. And I was comfortable. I was super comfortable. I thought it was going to be a little uncomfortable because I'm like in a, going in a bucket, but it was perfectly fine. I, I really enjoyed it. Okay, that's great. I'm happy for you. Uh, my second observation, I love that you're at the point now where you have this experience of, of going number two outside. And your first thought is, I got to tell the listeners about this. They need to hear this story. I can't wait to tell them. I, I should have took a picture of the actual box because it was a beautiful handcrafted wooden box that he made. It was a work of art. You would never guess if you opened the lid, it was just full of dung. Like you'd think there'd be like a buried treasure in there. Anyways. Moving on, unless you want to add anything about how was your weekend and everything. Uh, No, nope. Did my business inside, so we can move on. Like a pleb, like a like a, just a simp doing your business inside. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, moving on. As I was sitting on that Thunderbox, an idea came to my mind. And I've been working with this a little bit because people have different ideas of how to make up your team. <laughs> What is the most important things that you need to build a championship team? Some people like scoring. Some people like defense. Some people like strength on the middle. Some people like high-end wingers. Everybody has their opinion. And I wanted to pose some questions to Tim. I mean, do you remember the game Would You Rather? I sure do. Everybody's played it. Would you rather do this or that? Like uh, have hornets, you know, pick your face or kiss your sister. Stuff like that. Like silly things like that boys do. Sometimes it gets a little, you know, more aggressive, but most of the time it's a fun family friendly game. I play with my kids sometimes. I am doing this with hockey and I'm posing these questions to Tim because I think you and I have a different idea of how to make up a team. I'm more of a traditional strength down the middle, good on the back end. I'm not a high flying, high scoring wingers. I, I don't really think you need that to win but you think otherwise i believe i don't know we're gonna find out tim keeps his cards close to his vest he doesn't open up very much on the show so i'm I'm interested to hear what you think and what you would do if you were a gm so here we go i got a couple would you rather 
build your team around a first line center, a Jack Eichel, an Austin Matthews, a Pavel Zaka, a first line center, or would you rather build your team around a top elite D man, a Makar, a Hedmond, a McAvoy, those types, a Roman Yossi? If you're a GM and you had your first pick of those two guys, who would you pick, Tim? I go with a defenseman. The guys, when you look at the minutes they log and the kind of like play in any situation type defenseman, like the guys you named, that's, I think that's the most important thing to a team. And you looked at like all the winners in the cup in the last even 20 years, they all have that guy. And some of them don't have a, I don't say they don't have a legit number one seat, but they don't have a superstar center. Most of them do. It takes, it takes multiple, (laughs) but they all have that defenseman. So that, that would be my pick. I think I agree with you. I think it's more, I look at it. What's more rare to have. I think it's easier to find a good usable first line centerman than it is to find a really good superstar defenseman who can control the game from the back end. I feel like those defensemen are few and far between. You can name them all in one hand, I guess like Fox would come to mind. But the, other than those four that I named before, the McAvoys, the Headman, the Makar, the Fox, the Yossi, they're hard to come by, Tim. And so I think when you have a chance to get one of those guys, you jump for it. I'm surprised that their value when it comes down to contract time is not higher than the goal scorers because they seem to be weighted a little bit higher. I wonder if that'll change. Because it's almost you look at football quarterbacks get paid so much money is because it's impossible to find a good quarterback. People always complain, oh, the running backs need to make more money. No, they don't. There's a million running backs who can do that position and can do it well. It's very hard to find a good quarterback, a good offensive line, a good defensive line. That's why those guys make a ton ton of money. It's a premium position. All right, moving on. Second, would you rather, and this kind of butts up nicely to the center end, would you rather have an elite goal scorer an Ovechkin, an Austin Matthews, a David Posternock, elite goal scorer. Or would you rather have an elite setup man who obviously scores sometimes, but their job is to set people up? A Mitch Marner of the world, those types of players, Tim. A Disher, a Jonathan Huberto of last year, a guy whose job it is to just set people up. Who would you rather have, the finisher or the distributor? Well, I think you want the finisher. You want the guy who's going to put the pucks in net. Although I will say like the elite dishers, the, you know, going back the Jumbo and and Nick Backstrom when they were getting like 80, 90 assists a year each, like it was crazy what they were doing because not only are they creating offense, but they're lifting the players around them. And so even though they're not potting 40, 50, 60 goals, other guys are because of how good they are at dishing the puck. I, I saw a stat the other day that Mark Savard in like 06 he had 96 points, something like that, playing with Glenn Murray and Marco Sturm because those guys and neither of those guys got more than 30 goals each less. But he, he, no matter who you put him with, he's he's a creating offense. So there's a lot of value in that. But at the end of the day, you want the goal scorer. So I'll pick that. Uh, I would disagree. I would take a disher. I think it's. I think much like the defenseman, it's easier to find a guy who can pull the trigger it's harder to find a guy who can put that guy in the right spot and give him the puck in the right spot. I feel like Nikita Kucherov has made Braden points into a 50 goal scorer. 
I don't think Braden Point is a 50 goal scorer without Nikita Kucherov. I don't think he has that kind of talent. So I'm taking the disher. I think there's less guys who can really pass the puck and do it well. When you look at the assists in the league, it's like McDavid obviously is is a unicorn. That's why I'm not including him on any of these lists because or these would you rather's because obviously you're going to take him. The guy led the league in goals and assists last year. He's the best player on the planet. He's not included. Kucherov, 83 assists. A good portion of those are going to Braden Point. Like he he just makes things easy for players who are around him. Same with Dryan Seidel, same with Quinn Hughes, same with Marner, same with McKinnon, same with Pedersen, Panarin. Like all these guys are elite dishers and they make the guys around them look better. The Zabina, Zabina Jads, all these guys, like they wouldn't be the same player without these guys putting the puck in. I, I was around it in Chicago, Patrick Kane. Like Sharpie was a good goal scorer. Don't get me wrong. He was a peak Sharpie when he's playing with Patrick Kane. The guy wouldn't score as many goals as he had if he didn't have Patrick Kane dishing on the puck. So everybody can score, I think. And you said with Nicholas Backstrom, Ovi wouldn't be Ovi without Nicholas Backstrom. Do you think Ovi's going to break the record? I still do. You change your mind yet? No, he won't. Oh, I can't wait to just dig up all those old tweets. People call me dumb. It's going to be fantastic. All right, moving on. Would you rather, Tim? Have a star goaltender. Like, I'm talking 1A. I'm talking Shesterkin. I'm talking Vasilevsky. I'm talking Ottinger. I'm talking the best of the best. Any goaltender you want. The best one in the league. Or would you rather have an elite second-line centerman? And there's not many of them to choose from. Chandler Stevenson. A Jack Hughes. And again, I'm not including Edmonton because they are the unicorn. I know Dryan Seinel is a second-line centerman. He would be a first-line 1A on 31 other teams. It just so happens that he's playing behind Connor McDavid. He's the second-best player on the, on the planet in many people's eyes, so I'm not including them. But would you rather have an elite second-line centerman, which is, very, like I said, very hard to come by these days. Usually, a lot of teams have a good 1A. Look at the Bruins. Charlie Coyle is their second-line centerman. Garbage. The Leafs, John Tavares. I guess maybe he would be a good second line centerman. Or would you rather have a star goaltender, Tim? I'm interested to hear what you're going to say on this one. Are you trying to trigger me by saying that Jack Hughes is a second line center? Which that, line that, does he what line does he play on in New Jersey? It's a, according to what? Daily faceoff? It's like according it, to every game that they play, who starts the game? The game Nico, Nico Hirshire. The games change the lines change every game. And the starters change all the Tim, time. Tim, Jack Hughes had ninety nine points. Who's their captain? Not a second line center. Who's the centerman for New Jersey? The this this wasn't even a part of the podcast. Who were the centermen like for New Jersey? Setting me Shire, up, Hughes, Halla, getting who's, hot, who's getting the, hot. Yeah, because you're just like you're such a homer. Uh, yeah, Jack Hughes Jersey. is a second line centerman. Well, I'd take him. Uh, over you just Robert. ruined my game. <laughs> uh you got a all boner for say, Jack Hughes. All that to say, I would, I think I'd take the goalie. The it's goalie just, over a second line center, I'd take a goalie. I think it's the wrong decision. I why? think to have an elite second line centerman is so rare going back to the defensive. And you, this is why you'd be a bad GM. There's there's more good goaltenders that you, you could win with than, a, than you would have a good second line centerman. It's such a luxury to be able to just trot out a good second line 
and to just say, you're going to dominate because most teams, second line centermen and second lines are not very good. New Jersey has the luxury this year of putting out Jesper Bratt, Jack Hughes, and Tyler Toffoli. That's it. That's an elite second line. No one's going to compete with that second line in the whole NHL. And you would rather have a star goaltender. Boggles my mind. The difference between a star goaltender and a bottom tier goaltender is very small. It's a small gap. The difference between a second line centerman that's high end and a second line centerman that's middle of the road or low end is, is a Grand Canyon chasm. There's such a drop off. When you look at a guy like Jack Hughes and you look at another team that's okay, like a Thomas Novak for the Nashville Predators, he's their second line center. Jack Hughes is so much better than Thomas Novak. Tim, it's not even funny. You look at a team like even the Seattle Kraken, who just went to the Western Conference Final. Wenberg. He's good. Don't get me wrong. He's no Jack Hughes. He's no Chandler Stevenson. There's very few teams. LA has a good second line center. And Toronto has a good one. Like Anthony Sorelli for Tampa Bay. He's not like he's okay. He's not going to move the needle like a Jack Hughes. Or a Pierre-Luc Dubois. Or a Johnny Tavares. So, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong, Tim. You can think that. I'm just there's not a lot of goalies in the world that can do what Vasilevsky does or Sorokin or Shesterkin. I mean, I, I, it's been shown time and time again that you don't need a star goaltender to win the Stanley Cup. Aiden Hill won the Cup this year. He played like a star goaltender. No, but he wasn't paid like one. All right. Would you rather? Last one for the fourth line. Have a, a PK. Kind of skating, fourth line, responsible defensively, kind of a new age fourth line. Nobody really big, 5'11". Would you rather have that fourth line? Or would you rather have a fourth line who can beat the tar out of anybody, has a legit heavy, and has a couple other guys who just run around like heat-seeking missiles and just bury people? Now, take this into in account. The fourth line that is on the PK that can chip in a couple goals, they're going to play more. They're going to give you 10, 11 minutes. And the other fourth line, you're, you're going to get seven or eight. So it's going to tax the guys on the first three lines a little bit more. They get a little more ice time, which could be a good thing. Who would you rather have, Tim, on your fourth line? It's tough because at first I'm thinking like, okay, you need, you're getting players that are, even the superstars are rounding out their games in, in the ways that in years past wouldn't, where you're getting guys that do everything, who are willing to block shots, who are killing penalties, and they're turning into like like the Matthew Kachucks of the world. Austin Matthews, I know you roll your eyes, led the league in block shots last year. Oh my forwards, gosh. And he's the killing f- penalties. So I'm just saying, I know you hate that example, but you're getting superstars and even like, you know, low oh. and medium tier stars who can do everything. And so you can teach that, but you can't teach size. You can't teach strength, toughness, checking. And so I'm thinking, okay, maybe I want to bring in that level of of uh, a players that that you can't teach. You can't teach what Revo does. Doesn't matter how hard Stamkos works, he's not going to do what Revo can do. On the other side, look at what Seattle did. Like all four lines are just like pretty good players doing a little bit of everything, playing a simple game, and doing it well. And if you if that fourth line is, exists on a team that has superstars up front, it's just really tough matchup for anyone to come up against. So I'm going to do the first option. The scoring PK does a little bit of everything fourth line. Yeah, uh, I hate to say it, but I might be leaning that direction. I, a team like the Dallas Stars that just has four good lines, like their fourth line 
is legit. They each get 10, 15 goals and they're buzzing all over the ice. But then there's the other side. I mean, it's like you want that other team to have some fear factor. So maybe you kind of blend the two and you, and you have the best of both worlds, but it's hard when you, you put a guy like me, not trying to pump my book up because it's a terrible book, but that's the title of it. A guy like me on the ice on the fourth line who maybe I can't dish, maybe I can't score goals, but I'm out there to, you know, stir it up and finish, finish things off. If people get a little too excited. I don't know. I'm on the fence about this because uh, I've seen it go both ways. It really uh, depends it, on the rest of your roster too. It's hard to it do. Does. I like to see a line that strikes fear in the other team. And when they're out there, everyone's on their, you know, on their heels a little bit and they're a little nervous. It, it's nice to have that in your back pocket to say, okay, this game's getting away from us. I'm going to put this line out there and and it's going to turn the tide a little bit. Hmm. I think I'm going to go with that. I got to stay true to my roots. You know, I'm not going to bite the hand that fed me. So I'm going to go with the toughness line. I played on one of the toughest uh, lines ever. Me and Patty Coletta. It was, it was amazing playing with him. The guy was tough as nails, was fearless, was like a heat-seeking missile. And then we had Nathan Gerby, who was just, you know, a little playmaker. It was actually a pretty good little line. Who was on your line when you had Bugard? I didn't play forward in Minnesota. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I was on the back end, but well, gosh, when me and that was the toughest line, I think of all time when me and Boogie would step over the boards, it was, I remember in camp, they had, I think it was Simon Fedoric, Bugard and me. I'm like, this is the toughest team that's ever been assembled ever in the history of hockey. The Avengers. Like we could line up against anybody, anybody of all time. In history, the Detroit Red Wings of old, when they had Probert and Koser and all these guys, we would be fine versus that team. Like in the old school heydays. Yeah, what what a what a time to be alive that was. I, I would go into camp like I'm not gonna break the I'm not breaking the roster. They don't need toughness. I think they're fine. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'll see you in the AHL. Luckily, I might crack the line a few years later. All right, but that's it, Tim. Would you rather is over? What'd you think of, of my game? I came up with that all my I'm on all on my own. Very good. I like you contributing some ideas to the show. It's nice. It's nice. It is nice. At least I come up with my own, not the puck puck duco that you <laughs> that you come up with. Just piggyback someone else's greatness. All right, moving on. Arbitration is is in full swing, Tim. Some teams are going to arbitration, which is very rare. Like I talked about two weeks ago, it's rare when players actually go through with arbitration. There seems to be more guys going to it this year. That's because of salary cap. It's a hard cap. It only raised $1 million. Teams don't have money. Players want more money. Teams can't give it to them. So what do you do? You go to arbitration. Well, one team avoided arbitration, the Arizona Coyotes. They signed a nice deal with Jack McBain. Two years at $1.59999999 million for some reason. 23 years old. Good, hard-nosed player. I think this is a little a sliver of hope for the Arizona Coyotes. I like this move. I like Jack McBain. He's a good player. He he does what he needs to do. It's nice. Not so not so quietly. I, I don't mind what Arizona's done this offseason. They brought in some talent. They get Jason Zucker. They get Kerfoot. They get Bukestead. They get Troy Stetcher. Defenseman Travis Dermont. They re-sign McBain. They're, they're doing not so bad. They're not going to be a pushover like they were last year. They'll still be bad. Don't get me wrong. But I think gone are the days when you can just walk into Arizona, expect to pick up two points, go have a nice dinner, maybe go to Scottsdale, enjoy a couple cocktails at the, at the clubs, and then out, out you go. Pe- teams are going to have to, you know, 
bring their A game, or at least their B game, to beat the Arizona Coyotes this year. So good for them. Good for McBain. It's a good number for a guy of his ilk. He's not, you know, a big goal scorer or a points getter, but he does his job and he does it well. Second in hits last year to uh, Nick Deloria. Good for him. All right. Who else is uh, going to arbitration, Tim? Well, some news just broke five minutes ago that the Bruins reached an agreement with Trent Frederick, so that he's going to avoid arbitration. The hearing was supposed to be today. It's two years at $2.3 million per. Um, he went into arbitration. He filed for 1.4. The team or sorry, the team filed for 1.4. He filed for 2.9. So they met pretty much in the middle, which is about what I thought. What are your thoughts on that number? It's, it's a good number for Trent Frederick. I think... Um... For a player of his ilk, what is he, a fourth-line guy, sometimes a third-line guy? He doesn't put up too many points. He had a career year last year, 31 points. What? What are you smiling at? He's he's third now because the Bruins <laughs> are not very Is good. he third now? But, yeah, he's like he's a, he's a third or fourth-line player. I think he's going to get you 20, 22 points. But he's tough, right? He's going to go out there and play the right way. He's a perfect player for the Boston Bruins. He's going to have Milan Lucic to kind of learn from and uh, shelter him a little bit so he doesn't have to do the heavy lifting like he had to a lot last year and the year before where he was getting challenged by every heavyweight, and he had to say yes sometimes. But good for Trent Frederick. I think it's a it's a lot of money, Tim, for a player like him. He's only going to get, what, 22 points, 23 points? It, it, that's a lot of money if he's asking for 2.8. Why don't you think the Bruins let it go to arbitration? Do you think because they would only have him for one year? Because it was only going to be a one-year ruling. They wanted to control him for more years than that? Maybe they were worried that he was going to skew a little bit higher and, and they need every ounce of cap they can get right now with the Swayman situation still outstanding and some pretty glaring weaknesses in their roster. So I guess that makes sense. He's trying to get it nailed down. At least they're in control. I think he's he's a solid player. I, I wish he would bring more. When he first came up, he was just so physical and he wanted to fight everyone and, and Cassidy kind of tamed him. And then when you took that element out of his game, he didn't really have much else to offer and he's lacking confidence. And he saw a lot like a new level last year under Montgomery. So hopefully he takes a step forward with a bigger role, more minutes and gets a chance to become, you know, a top nine forward solid, if not a top six. I mean, a, a young Milan Lucic, is that the, that's obviously the high ceiling, but is that what you see from him? Because he's like, he's a first round draft pick. That's like what he, we hoped. Yeah, that's what he seemed like he could be. And then he, he sort of just like Cassidy put the leash on him, put a muzzle on him. And so hopefully he gets to, I mean, now he's got Lucic to learn under as well. So, Well, he's 25 years old. It's time to kind of put up or get out. Like enough is enough. We want to see if you can produce this. He had a great year last year, but maybe that was a effect of just playing with such a great team. They did nothing wrong last year, the Bruins. He was able to play with great players in great situations and have very subpar people playing against him. Now he's going to be on a bad team. The Bruins are going to be a bad team next year. Let's just call a spade a spade. They don't have the no. talent that they had last year. Everybody's getting older. No, They will be a bubble team, and we'll see if he's able to produce. Because the year before and the year before that, five points in 42 games. I think he had something like 16, 17 points the year before. He's... The verdict is still out on Trent Frederick right now for me. Moving on. Another arbitration that's going to come to fruition. Jeremy Swayman, friend of the show. He argued his case last week. Those uh, numbers are supposed to drop today, Tim, right? What are you hearing on Jeremy Swayman? Yeah, he wanted to. Or sorry, I said that wrong again. Are he you okay to. today? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? I'm good. I'm good. The boy, team boy. wanted to sign him for $2 million. He wanted 4.8. So 
pretty stark difference, um, almost $3 million difference. I'm guessing they're going to settle for around Sam Sonov's number, maybe a little bit less, so maybe three to three and a half. The hearing happened over the weekend, so we should hear today, and it'll probably happen you know, any minute now. So I don't know. What's his number to you? Is there a number the Bruins walk away from? Because right now you got Frederick for 2.3. They had 5.34 to spend. So if he comes in at three, that's it. Their cap's gone. They have no more money to spend. If he comes in at 3.5, they're over the cap and they have to make some moves. Is there a number the Bruins walk away from right now? Well, they've got 3.1 in cap space right now. So if it's three, they can do it, but then they have nothing left. But you can't let them go. What happens if they if they don't sign him? Is he is he UFA or do they yep. still own his rights? I mean, he's a UFA. He's gone. I believe they get something from the team that signs him, some kind of draft capital. But yeah, he's gone. That's it. They have a, a certain amount of time to sign that deal. The player and the team do. I think the player's locked in. The team can either accept it or decline it, and the player's on his way. I mean, he wanted 4.8. Like, it, it could settle at 3.5. You know, it could settle at 3.8. Who knows? I hope, they've, I hope they figure this out. I think they should go the baseball route, NHL, because it, these numbers are outrageous when they come to the table. The team's obviously way too low. The players are way too high. And, it, and it's just unrealistic. I think the baseball route is the way to go. The, the team submits their number. The player submits their number. And the arbitrator picks one. So you you have to come in with a realistic number. You can't just low ball and high ball and then, oh, we're going to meet somewhere in the middle. You have to realize where you're at, gauge the market, and just throw in a realistic number. You look at a guy like Troy Terry, Anaheim Mighty Ducks. He submits his number $8 million, Tim, this guy wants. Troy Terry, good player, don't get me wrong. You know, he had a good year last year, 67 points. It's big, started off hot, cooled near the end. $8 million he's asking for. Like, are you nuts? There should be some penalty for a player that comes in that high. And that's why the baseball system works so good, because it would eliminate all these astronomical numbers where a player comes in and just asks for the moon. Your arbitrator is going to look at his number and go, are you crazy, kid? Do you know who makes $8 million in this league? Do you know where you are? You were drafted in the fifth round, bud. You're you're a good story. Don't get me wrong. You were playing on a bad team, getting minutes that you wouldn't get on a good team. Let's let's be honest. You got 61 points last year. That's it. Like it, it's it. This bothers me that he's asking for eight million dollars. And Anaheim, even I think they gave him a generous number coming into four point eight. That's right where he should be. A guy getting 60, 70 points at $4.8 million, I think that's perfect. You're you're not an $8 million type player like a Patrick Lining, a Dylan Larkin, a Stamkos, a Dubois, a Zabinijad, a Forsberg. Those are, they're all better than you. All those players making $8 million are better than you. So that, that one boggled my mind. So they should get rid of the system they have now, adopt the baseball system, and move forward because it just... Seeing stuff like this is just a mockery to the whole arbitration 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 system. Are you okay, John? I'm worked up when I see stuff like this. Like eight million dollars, you really think you deserve that much? I get knowing your worth, but like, let's pump the brakes here, Troy Terry. Yeah, that number is silly. But I also thought four point five seemed low too. He's a six million dollar player in my eyes. And you look at 
like the eight million dollar range, like you said, who's who's making exactly eight million dollars? Logan Couture, Jack Hughes, JT Miller, Thomas Shabbat, Brent Burns, John Carlson, Jacob Truba. Like all better, all better right. than him. I would take right. every one of those players. So I think he's probably like in the six million dollar range of the guys like Palat, Zuccarello, Gensel, Ehlers, Taylor Hall, Brock Nelson. I think he's closer to that level. Next Tim, is- I'm taking every one of those players over Troy Terry. But every there's, guys single one. Here, there's guys here that are making that much that so you'd probably take him over. Um, like a Bennington, Brodeen, Nate Schmidt, Grubauer, Gavrikov. So I think he's probably in the middle of that group somewhere. So Yeah, I also think you're paying for potential at this point. These young players signing these contracts. I think Troy Terry, he's, he's reached his peak. He's 25 years old. We know who he is. I don't think he's getting any better. He's had every ample opportunity the last two years playing on an Anaheim Duck team that was just not great. He's getting first line minutes. He's getting top power play time. That's it. And he got 67 and 61 points. Mind you, he's not playing with like superior talent. Playing with okay talent. I think this is the high watermark for him. I don't think he scratches 80 points. I don't think he's a point per game guy. I think he settles in around the $5 million mark, exactly where Anaheim wanted him. But to, to, gosh, to ask $8 million, I hope the arbitrator comes in and says $3 million. <laughs> That's what you get for just trying to work the system, Troy, you big, you big worker. I don't like it. But anyways, moving on. We had a signing, a UFA, finally signed, Vladimir Tarasenko. Arguably the best forward still on the market, hadn't signed, fired his agent. Early on in the free agency process, did not like what was happening. The agency was kind of guiding him in a direction that he didn't really like. Well, he is going to the Ottawa Senators. I'm sure everybody knows. Not so shocking. He was linked to them early in the free agency period. What do you think of this signing? Does this make Ottawa, Tim, a playoff team in the Eastern Conference after just disappointing last year? Uh, it's hard to say that. I don't think he takes them from being as disappointing as they was to a playoff team, just him himself. You're going to need to see the other players step up, but he makes them a lot better. And their top six is one of, if not the best top six in the league right now. You have Kachuk, Stutzla, Tarasenko, Giroux, Norris, Batherson. Like those, those are two elite lines and he's going to fit in really well. So he's still a good player. He scores a lot five on five. He's just two, a year and a half removed from a 34 goal season. Like he's still a great, great player. So I think he fits in really well. Whether or not they're a playoff team is going to be up to the other guys more than it will be up to him. But I think it's a good signing. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he's a good player. 5.5, what was he, $5 million? I think that's a good number one one year. He's obviously coming off of injuries. But like you said, he's coming off a big season where he scored 30-plus goals. This guy's, a, this guy's a legit superstar. Put him in a position. Put him on the first. You don't think he's a legit superstar? Maybe he's waned a little bit? You can't say he's a superstar and Ajo isn't. Come on. All right, I'll give you that. He's a star. He's a good player. He's going to make this team a lot better. I think he'll score more goals than Alex Debrinkit did last year. That would be a good bet for this coming year. Yeah, I think he will. I think he can generate more offense himself than Debrinkit can. Debrinkit might be faster, might be younger, might have better hands. Tarasenko's a moose. That guy's a very good player. I'm excited to see how he does in Ottawa this year, playing alongside some good young talent. It's going to be exciting. The reason there's so much controversy surrounding Vladimir Tarasenko was because of how the free agency period went this year. Early on, reportedly, he got some big offers, one from Ottawa, four years, $5.5 million. He got a nice offer from Carolina, one year, 5.25. He got an offer from San Jose, one year, $6 million. The reason those offers evaporated was because he really wanted to stay with the New York Rangers. It is my understanding 
that the reason he fires his agent is because his agent said, we're going to make it work with the Rangers. I've talked to them. We're going to get something done. They're going to move some things. They really want to keep you. Just pump the brakes on signing with some other team. Even though we're getting big offers, good offers, we're going to wait on the Rangers. They're trying to move things around. Then all of a sudden, things don't work out with the Rangers. They move on. They say, Vladimir, sorry. We got to go our separate ways. We can't make the money work. He goes back to the market. Everybody's already moved on. That money is out. You can't just wait around for one player if you're Carolina, you're San Jose, you're Ottawa. You have to go out and make different plans. He goes back to market. Ottawa doesn't have the money. Carolina's already moved on. San Jose doesn't want him anymore. That $6 million is gone. It's probably down to four and $4 million now. The only thing you can get is a one-year $5 million deal. So he gasses his agent, hires a new one. They get this deal. It's a bad deal for him. It really is. Yes, $5 million is a lot of money. But this guy at his age does not want to be signing a prove-it deal. What is he, 35, Tim? He's not young. He's had some injury, big, big-time injuries in his past. He doesn't want to go out and just bank on one year. It's like, oh, he's 31, excuse me. He feels like he's 35. But it's just, it's a bad deal for him. This was his time to cash in. He's hitting the UFA market. And he just blew it. I blame his agent. Poor guy. There's lots of stories like this of players just like leaving money on the table because they thought things were greener on the other side. This guy passed up on $22 million. Do you think he's going to get that next year? He could if he has a huge year in Ottawa, but we'll see. What else are we talking about, Tim? Yeah, some quick kid stuff here. Uh, Logan Cooley, who was, I think, the third overall pick this past draft, was originally going to go back to Minnesota, where he went to, who was a freshman last year and did very, very well. But he signed a three-year entry-level deal with Arizona which is a big get for them. He's going to fit right into the top six right away. Uh, super talented player. Over the past few years, across the U18 national team, the national development team, and the University of Minnesota, he's put up 171 points in 114 games, um, which is like Fantilli numbers. So if it wasn't for like Bedard, we'd be way more, it'd be way more headlines about Cooley. Likely so. He's he's just, I think he's going to fit in really well. What are your expectations for him this year? It's a huge win for him. Yeah, it's it's a big win, bigger win for the franchise than it is for Logan Cooley. He could have easily went back to Minnesota, went for the national championship. But I think he'll have a decent year. They have some talent to put around him. And I think he saw that the players that they signed would help him progress. And he wouldn't just go there and be ran over every single game because he's all they got. Him and uh, what's the other guy there? The small little guy, Clayton Keller. Keller. So he he sees he has some help. He doesn't have to be you know, put in a bad position where he's just expected to do everything. And he's only a 19 year old kid. I like it. It's, it's a good move all around. He burns the year of his entry level contract. So we can get one step closer to free agency. Cause that's what players want. They want to get in the league early, get their time and become a UFA and sign that big contract. So he knows what he's doing. And it's, it's, it's a huge sigh of relief for the Arizona coyotes. Cause you're like, oh, okay, this kid's coming. We have him under contract. He's not going to, pull a fast one and enter the draft or become a free agent after his college season and wait till he's 20 and just not want to come to Arizona. Everybody's happy. He signed a contract moving on as opposed to the Philadelphia Flyers, their draft pick from 2022 first round draft pick cutter Gauthier told Danny Breer. He doesn't even want to come to camp. He's had a long summer. He's a little fatigued. I don't even want to go to camp. I just want to go to school. I want to go back to Boston college. That's not a good look for the Philadelphia Flyers. When your first overall pick or fifth overall pick first rounder calls you up and says, you know what? I'm good. I I don't want to come to camp. Maybe next year. 
I just want to go to Boston and hang out for a little bit. That's a terrible look for the Philadelphia Flyers. Like, what does that say about your franchise when your first round pick from two years ago says, I'm good? Like, as a young kid, you're chomping at the bit, champing at the bit to get to camp and to compete against NHL players. Like, that's the highlight of your year. You build up all summer long to do that, Tim. It's crazy that the kids are just saying, yeah, I'm okay. I would have never thought that was a thing 10 years ago. These kids are so strange these days. Well, he even said it. He's like, yeah, I've been playing too much hockey lately. I need a break, (laughs) which is like, I'm not going to camp. And I contrast that against your story from last week about driving from, was it Minnesota to Houston? without Houghton, Houghton, Michigan to Houston to go to an AHL camp. Right. 25 hours straight through. Because I desperately wanted to go to an AHL camp. This kid is being begged by an NHL franchise to please come to camp just for three days. That's it. We'll fly in. We'll fly out. It'll be fantastic. He's like, yeah, I'm okay. I really, I really want to see Oppenheimer. <laughs> I got stuff going on. My buddy's turning 20. I really want to go to his birthday party. It's it's wild, the, the chutzpah of these kids. All right, what else is happening, Tim? Yeah, Philip Gustafson, or Philippe, signed in Minnesota. He had a great year last year, 2.10 goals against, 931 saves percentage. He signed a three-year, $11.25 million contract to stay in Minnesota, which is a great get for them. Yeah, good for them. Minnesota, again, as we talked to Ryan Reeves, he said it himself. He said they are so handcuffed by the buyout dead cap from Suter and Parisi. They're years away from competing. They got to get through this year and next year, and then they can compete. They're 15 million in the hole with those two guys. You can't compete when you just take $15 million off of your cap. It goes from 83 to 68. Like, how are you going to build a team with $68 million that's going to compete? And next year, too. Yeah. It's just amazing that they were able to even make the playoffs last year. So, uh, good for them. It's a good deal. He's a good goaltender. They still got Mark Andre Fleury. So, they'll have a good one, two, tandem there in Minnesota. But, gosh. They are just, they're in tough for the next two years. Another little tidbit I saw. The Buffalo Sabres are dipping their toes in the Logan Thompson rumor mill. Logan Thompson, obviously a good young goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights, was their starter throughout the season, got injured. Aiden Hill took over in the playoffs and obviously took them to a Stanley Cup championship. Aiden Hill signs a big deal, four point some million dollars. Logan Thompson is still there. He's under contract for two years. Little money, $700,000 and change. But the Vegas Golden Knights are so strapped and they need to make some moves to make this work that there are rumors that they want to get rid of Logan Thompson. And the Buffalo Sabres are jumping at this opportunity. They have a good young goalie, Alex Lyon, but is he the guy? I don't know. If the Sabres get Logan Thompson, Tim, much like the Ottawa Senators getting Tarasenko, do the Sabres make the playoffs if they get Logan Thompson? Because in my eyes, Logan Thompson is a very good goaltender. The numbers he put up in the short period of time, I think he's played 50, 60 games, elite level numbers. What do you think? I think, yes. I mean, the the Sabres are kind of like the darling of the league right now where every team it's like, they're like everyone's second favorite team after their own. There's just so many young, exciting players all coming up together at the same time. And they've always been missing that goalie since Ryan Miller left. So yeah, I think he, I mean, no, no disrespect to Craig Anderson, some of the other guys that have come through, but he makes them better for, for sure. And that's, I think the East is sort of up for grabs. There's a lot of unknowns with like the Islanders and the Penguins and the Bruins. So the Sabres could easily surpass those teams. Yeah, I think they would be a bubble team. I don't think they're going to be you know, competing for a Stanley Cup anytime soon. They have a good back end. They had some good pieces up front with Tage Thompson, Dylan Cousins, 
those types of players. But yeah, I, I think getting Logan Thompson makes him a playoff team. I, I, I agree to. But couldn't you like see them taking a leap? Like the Devils weren't supposed to contend or compete. And all of a sudden they came out of nowhere and they were a lot closer than we all realized. Couldn't the Sabres follow a similar trajectory? Hopefully. Yeah. I think the Devils have really, uh, maybe, I hope so. Maybe I'm underselling the Sabres, but we'll see. They need a goaltender. I think that's, you know, very, very important for them to succeed. I know Craig Anderson was a good story, but you're not going to win with Devin Levi. Sorry, I said Alex Lyon. It's Devin Levi and Uko Pekka Lukanainen. I don't, I don't think those are your answers on the back end. All right, Tim, anything else before we get out of here? I got a trivia question for you. I'm going to throw it back your way. There are six players in the league right now who lead their franchise in all-time points for the team that they're currently on. Who are those six players? Six players right now that lead their franchise in total points. It's Sidney Crosby. Nope. Oh, Alex Ovechkin. Yes. It is... Is it Stammer? Yep, he's number two. It is. You got to think of the. I can't believe it's Crosby. I guess Lemieux and Yager probably hold those marks, right? That was a dumb answer. Um, bear with me. Who else would it be, Tim? Trying to go out west. Anaheim, no. San Jose, no. Um, I don't know. This is a good one. Are the teams of the out east or out west? Uh, there's a solid mix. Is it Jamie uh, Ben? No, he's close, but Madonna. Is it Kopitar? No. Is it? Uh, it's not Marshawn for Boston. No, I don't know, Tim. Who are? Well, it's got to be one of the Vegas guys, the newer teams in Seattle. So those yep. two guys are probably in there. That's those cheap. Are two of them. Okay, who are the other two? It's Marcheseau and uh, McCann for those two teams. Mm-hmm. The two that you didn't get are Barkov in Florida, ah. and uh, Nashville, Roman Yossi. Oh, isn't that fun? Newer teams. I made the mistake of going to the older franchises, but two out of six. Well, I, I, I'll give myself four out of six. Seattle. Call it three. (laughs) Call it three. We'll call it three. All right, everybody. We're going to call this episode. Thank you for listening. We appreciate the support. We will talk to you guys later this week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 